This is Arab Talk on KPOO, 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Khanan. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we're 50 days plus into the ethnic cleansing and genocide that's occurring in Gaza right now. There are close to 15,000 Palestinians that have been killed, and recent estimates suggest that 10,000 of the killed are women and children. Right now, we're in the third day of the pause, and as we speak right now, there's the next release of hostages coming from Hamas, as well as the release of Palestinian political prisoners that have been imprisoned in Palestine for decades. The Palestinians that are being released, Jamal, are women and children that have been in Israeli jails, in some cases, for decades. There are 1.7 million internally displaced Palestinians right now. Some Palestinians during the pause who tried to go back to their homes in the north to just check on loved ones were shot at and killed. The situation in Gaza right now is absolutely grave, despite the fact that there are convoys of food, water, and medicine coming into Gaza, it's not reaching the north where the situation is absolutely cataclysmic. We're going to be talking about all those things, including the exchange of hostages, the mounting evidence that Israeli soldiers themselves killed their own citizens and have covered it up. We're going to talk about global pro-Palestinian demonstrations that are growing all over the world. And of course, Jamal, one of my favorite topics is Stuart Seldowitz, a former Obama national security advisor who has been arrested and released on uh, basically hate crime. But before we get to that, we're going to watch a really great interview that you did with Montreal-based activist and author Eve Engler. Talks about how Heather Reisman and her billionaire husband, Gary Schwartz, established and are directors of the registered Canadian charity called HESEG, H-E-S-E-G Foundation for Lone Soldiers. Now check this out, Jamal, it's crazy. Lone Soldiers are not Israelis that HESEG encourages and supports joining the IDF in order to suppress Palestinians and man checkpoints in the occupied West Bank. It is absolutely crazy. This is an eye-opening interview that you did. It's absolutely crazy because, uh, of course, our guest is from Canada and he talks about their work right. in Canada. But they're actually all over. They're, they're, they do it in the United States. They do it in Europe. They basically fund uh, the husband, uh, Mr. Schwartz, is a billionaire, so has a lot of money. And they fund uh, and recruit lone soldiers. And that's why you hear sometimes, what is a lone soldier? And they just send them there, basically enlist them in the, uh, the Israeli, in the Israeli military. Most likely they'll be sent to man checkpoints to harass Palestinians in, in the West Bank. And of course, when you have a conflict like this, some of them die or, or taken hostage and they are citizens of another state. So for example, right. maybe, maybe we, one of those soldiers is Canadian that now Canada wants to have to see free or an American soldier and whatever. But the, the big story about this is not just doing this. And that's what uh, Eve uh, spoke about is it's uh, they raise money in Canada and it is as tax deductible as a charity and it's tax <laughs> deductible. And we know the history about um, uh, minor things, not even close to these things that happened in the United States, like with the Holy Land Foundation and others where people uh, sent contributions to Gaza and they got into a lot of trouble. But these guys, not only they're taking money and sending contributions 
and recruiting soldiers to fight in another country, they are also getting a tax credit. So let's uh, watch um, Eve Engler. In the pre-dawn hours, Toronto police burst through the doors of several homes, often without properly identifying themselves. They handcuffed all residents, several of them elderly, and confiscated laptops and all other electronic devices. The large-scale operation was in response to political posters and fake blood spread on the storefront of an Indigo bookstore. On the posters were photos of Indigo's high-profile CEO, Heather Reisman, stamped with the statement, Funding Genocide. Heather Reisman and her billionaire husband, Jerry Schwartz, established and are directors of the registered Canadian charity, the HESEG Foundation for Lone Soldiers, an organization that funds and encourages young Canadians and elsewhere to enlist in the Israeli military. In his piece, Toronto Police Arrest Palestine Activists should target Heather Reisman. Eve Engler notes that HESEG may be violating Canada's Foreign Enlistment Act, charges far more serious than poster hanging. So why hasn't Reisman been apprehended? Joining us on Arab Talk is Eve Engler. He is a Montreal-based activist and author who has published 12 books, including his latest, Stand on Guard for Whom? A People's History of the Canadian Military. Welcome to Arab Talk, Eve. Thanks for having me. So it's, it's really scary stuff having one's door broken in, being handcuffed and charged with hate crimes for uh, just hanging social justice messages. This was not a violent crime, yet the police allocated a lot of manpower to indiscriminately round up individuals and seize uh, property. You call these thought crimes. Talk about the increase in criminalization and repression of those criticizing Israel in Canada and uh, internationally. Yeah, what happened in Toronto is a very egregious example uh, of arresting, uh, detaining uh, a whole bunch of people for posters. I mean, really, all we're talking about is posters. And this was all taken down from the storefront pretty quickly. Uh, There was uh, fake blood, but it was water-soluble paint that can be washed off. And uh, this is maybe the most egregious example. There's another in Calgary. There was a uh, activist who chanted uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And he was detained and they initially implied that they were going to put hate charge against him for this chant, which is, of course, again, a social justice chant about about uh, uh, liberty that they ultimately Calgary police have now subsequently dropped the charge. Um, but there is just example after example of people who've been fired. An Air Canada pilot was fired for posting uh, messages, uh, going to a, a Palestine solidarity demonstration, posting messages on Instagram. You have a uh, University of Alberta a sexual assault center person who was fired. You have a chaplain at the University of Western Ontario, London, Ontario fired. There, there are just example after example of people opposing genocide, uh, people who are uh, standing uh, for what's right and and against 
uh, war crimes uh, being targeted. And um, the idea that uh, putting up posters on an Indigo bookstore, and it should be clear that this Indigo bookstore, there's been a boycott of Indigo uh, for more than a decade. I actually, I published a book in 2010, Canada and Israel uh, Building Apartheid in 2010, and I actually asked the publisher not to um, not to uh, sell it through the Indigo bookstore, which is the biggest bookstore chain in Canada, where the posters were 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 put of Heather Reisman, because Heather Reisman and her and her uh, husband have set up this Hessig Foundation, which is basically a subsidy for the Israeli military and specifically a subsidy for non-Israelis to join the the uh, Israeli uh, murder force. Um, uh, you know, and it's a way, and it should be important. It's it's also a way to pressure um, Israelis who are a little bit uncomfortable about the action of the IDF, uh, and it's a way to say, hey, people coming from Vancouver, from Toronto, from New York, from Paris, who are you know going out of their way to join, and you as an Israeli, you know, you should be you should be happy to 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 join the military force. Um, so it has this uh, this this sort of um political effect inside of Israel that's, I think, very negative. And that's why you have a whole bunch of former IDF generals on the board of the Hessek Foundation. Um, but well, the, is that putting that posters? Yeah, sorry, but I just wanted to clarify. Isn't this uh, the uh, what the Hessek Foundation is doing violates not only Canadian revenue agency laws, but Canada's Foreign, uh, Foreign Enlistment Act? Yeah, well, so it's very clear. Canada Revenue Agency rules are absolutely crystal clear that um, it's charitable to support the Canadian military. It is not charitable to support foreign militaries. So it doesn't matter what, you know, not just about Israel's crimes, Israeli military crimes, but it's just a fact we do not provide tax subsidies for Canadians to donate um, to other countries' militaries. So in that sense, the Hessek Foundation should have lost its charitable status a long time ago. Uh, and it's not the only one, unfortunately, it's not the only registered charity that's supporting the IDF. And we've been campaigning on this issue in the last couple of years where we look like they're having some headway with the Canada Revenue Agency. Um, but so that's crystal clear. It should lose its charitable status. And the $100 million, literally $100 million that, that Reisman and Schwartz have given to this Hessek Foundation uh, that they set up, this charity they set up, they probably received about $40 million in tax credits uh, from, from the Canadian taxpayer for these donations to, uh, to support non-Israelis to join the IDF. But, but that's crystal clear. Now, the Foreign Enlistment Act says that it's contrary to Canadian law uh, to induce uh, Canadians to join another country's military. And you can make a pretty strong case that the Hessek Foundation is is inducing Canadians to join the the IDF because basically what they're doing is they're saying if you join if these non-Israelis join uh, the Israeli military we will provide you all these bursaries and scholarships so you have free education um, and now there, there's other other things the other forms of support as well but primarily it's about free education giving a whole bunch of money to um to non-israelis to to go to university after after joining the israeli military so they are offering i think that there's a good legal case to be made an inducement for canadians to join uh, a foreign military in which case they would be violating the foreign enlistment act now that crime that crime is far far more significant 
um, than uh, the potential of vandalism. And, and I'm not even sure it is vandalism, you know, because there's a whole legal, legal question about whether you can, if you can remove something, whether it actually is vandalism on a storefront to put up a poster that can be removed fairly easily. But let's just say that the people that the Toronto police have, have arrested in the middle of the night, that they may have been engaged in vandalism. Violating the Foreign Enlistment Act is clearly a bigger uh, criminal offense than, than, than vandalism. That's to leave, leave aside the bigger moral question of the fact that the Israeli military is, is you know, committing genocide in Gaza. You know, 15,000 plus people have been killed. You know, 6,000 plus children have been killed. Uh, you know, the, an effort to really ethnically cleanse uh, and that the Reisman is, is supporting that and, and underwriting that financially and in fact getting the Canadian taxpayer to underwrite that financially. That, of course, on a moral level is a far greater uh, a moral outrage than people who, in fact, are doing something that was very good, which is raising awareness of the genocide in Gaza and specifically raising awareness of the fact that this uh, bookstore and the CEO of this bookstore is complicit in those war crimes. So how are they uh, circumventing, you know, really circumventing and violating laws to prevent this siphoning of Canadian resources to a, a foreign entity? Well, in 2020, um, just peace advocates, the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute, uh, Palestinians uh, and, and Jews United, um, we launched a campaign uh, that looked letter that was signed by... Um, the people like Noam Chomsky, Roger Waters, a whole bunch of high-profile international and Canadian figures calling on Canadian government authorities to adopt, to enforce the Foreign Enlistment Act. Because about, about 100, we, it varies every year, but about 100 Canadians are, are, are recruited into the Israeli military. There's also other programs that there's a whole volunteer program of just working on Israeli military bases. Uh, as well, so there's a very a series of other forms, but but about 100 Canadians are recruited every year, mostly young men, um, and and the Israeli consulate has been uh, openly recruiting Canadians. Um, the uh, the federations, the Jewish federations uh, here in Montreal, have promoted events that that call for they're basically designed to recruit Canadians to join the Israeli military. There's, in fact, a whole bunch of um, schools, high schools, that they organize these IDF days, and they, they bring in former or current Israeli soldiers to talk about the great things of the IDF. And there's a good case to make even these schools are inducing uh, teenage Canadians to try to, to join the IDF. Now, we launched this public letter. We uh, got, um, actually, Le Devoir, a daily newspaper in Montreal, to actually publish it on the front page. And the next day, the reporter from Le Devoir asked the then Justice Minister, David Lametti, about the matter. And David Lametti, about enforcing the Foreign Enlistment Act around Israel, David Lametti just punted it aside and said, this is not, this is nothing to do with us. This is a, this is a policing matter. Mm. So then it got pushed over to the police. And then we, we, we started sending emails to the police. We actually actual alert campaigns to the police. And, and the police just basically dragged their, their feet on it. Then we launched another uh, uh, a legal thing around this group, Sarel, which uh, organizes uh, Canadians to volunteer on Israeli military bases, for, usually for three weeks, to do uh, non-combat um, uh, work on Israeli bases, but which includes um, preparing guns and, and uh, stuff like that. 
And we launched this legal battle and we got a judge to agree to, because the police wouldn't deal with it. The police just ignored it. We got a judge to agree to, to, uh, to hear the case. Uh, and then the crown stepped in and just dismissed it. So basically government officials just stepped in and were able to just dismiss it. There's still, the legal process is still playing itself out and there's still a small possibility that it will be, that will be, uh, heard. But the basic gist is, is that the political structure, the policing structure in the country absolutely don't want to touch this. And, and, um, we, I think the campaign that we've done has led to a little bit less open public, um, uh, recruitment for the, for the Israeli military. But, but in effect, um, uh, legally speaking, the, the, they can operate in without, uh, without being, um, uh, pursued criminally. Sheltering aid to Israel's military inside a, a charity is not a new tactic in, in Canada. Uh, the Jewish National Fund recently had a formal complaint filed against it for funding multiple projects that directly benefited Israel's military, uh, something again prohibited by Canada Revenue Agency. The outcome has not yet uh, been released. Does this show how big of an appetite Israel's military has and how increasingly problematic it is to sustain it well well i think what the jewish national fund uh that's a campaign around that that goes back a few years and that was a multifaceted uh targeting of their charitable status one element being their support for the israeli military and the canada revenue agency basically did uh, say that the the jnf was um contravening canadian charity rules uh, and essentially just should have should have rescinded their charitable status but instead just put these conditions on the jnf that that are you know relevant they're good they're, they make it harder for the jnf to do to support the idf and to be openly racist but 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 didn't go as far as they the revenue agency should have gone um now there's all these also all these charities that support israeli universities in canada that like the technion Technion has a whole slew of relationships to the Israeli military. Um, and there's a, a couple hundred uh, Israel-focused charities in Canada that all get subsidies from the Canadian government to, to provide donations. Um, and, they, and a whole bunch of them support the IDF uh, to varying degrees of, of, of directness. Um, but I think that kind of at a, at a bigger picture level, the is, Israel is a, is a state, uh, you know, the U.S. is a pretty militarized country, but Israel is an even more militarized uh, country where pretty much every Israeli university is, you know, working directly with the IDF, uh, uh, a whole slew of different uh, institutional structures are working with the IDF. And so when you have a situation like you do in Canada, where you have all these charities raising funds for Israel, and this is a completely unique thing, right? There's no other country. Israel has a GDP per capita equivalent to Canada's, and 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 yet we're fundraising somewhere between a quarter billion and a half a billion dollars a year for projects in Israel. There is no equivalent to Japan. There's no equivalent to Sweden or France, right? Canada's there's not all these charities in Canada supporting museums and universities and uh, guide dog societies like they are in Israel, and that, that, that that's what's happening. Um, and so within that. It's actually quite fascinating because there's Canada Revenue Agency rules are very clear on foreign militaries. There are also West Bank settlements contravene uh, Canadian law, right? Can, they, ostensibly, 
supporting West Bank settlements should contravene Canada Revenue Agency rules. And also the Canada Revenue Agency has a, a, a policy going back more than two decades saying that it, it tries to uh, support anti-racism. So any organization that's explicitly racist and a, a series of Canadian uh, charities support explicitly racist organizations in Israel. So there's all these charities in Canada assisting projects in Israel that violate current Canada Revenue Agency rules. Not, not like, you know, better laws that should op oppose um, apartheid and, and should oppose, uh, you know, all the war crimes uh, committing, but current laws that, you know, current regulations within the Canada Revenue Agency. And they've been seen to have been willing to uh, apply these laws to a certain extent, but for the most part, as the JNF case shows, when a, when a, when a charity is, is a powerful, in the case of JF, Jewish National Fund Canada, it's probably the second uh, most powerful uh, Israel-focused charity. When it's when it's powerful, uh, the revenue agency, you know, may be willing to sort of slap them on the wrist, but they're not willing to go to that next step of actually revoking uh, the charitable status. And that just speaks to the sort of political culture in Canada, which is a decidedly uh, pro-Zionist political culture, deeply, deeply anti-Palestinian. And that's been something that's been the way for for a century uh, or more. I don't know about uh, many of the cases in Canada, but I know, for example, in the United States, if you had uh, Arab Americans or Muslim Americans, uh, and, and we had several cases, if they made a donation, let's say, to you know, a charitable, even a charitable organization in uh, in Gaza, many of them got in trouble and, and actually were either, uh, if they weren't citizens, they were deported or they were put in jail. Do you have similar cases uh, where uh, Arab or Muslim Canadians have gotten in trouble for making contribution to Palestinians? Yeah, it, the when you contrast uh, how charities that support the IDF, racist organizations are treated versus charities that support Palestinians, it makes it even more outrageous. And the preeminent case is the IRFAN, the International Relief Fund for the Afflicted and Needy, which is a uh, was a Toronto-based um, Muslim uh, charity that that um, um, uh, supported a whole bunch of projects around the world. And um, specifically, they were supporting uh, orphans in Gaza, and they supported a, a hospital in Gaza. And they they sent a dialysis machine to a hospital in Gaza, and they were supporting, uh, which went through the the uh, health authorities, and you know. Hamas controls the 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 political structure in 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 Gaza. So so the dialysis machine went through uh, the proper uh, 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 political authority, and um, and similarly the donations to the orphans went through the post office, which uh, does the banking does in lots of places does banking, and then same thing in Gaza, and that again was run under the uh, Hamas um, uh, authority. And they lost their charitable status for this, but it went it went beyond that. Irfan um, became the first uh, Canadian-based organization that was put on Canada's terrorist list. Right, so a whole bunch of Palestinian organizations are on Canada's terrorist list, but they're not, you know, Canadian-based. Irfan was the first Canadian-based uh, organization uh, put on Canada's uh, terrorist list for again supporting orphans and and the hospital uh in, in Gaza um and so you know you you have this like this 
billionaire uh, Toronto uh, couple that has a uh, a foundation that's it's called the Hessek Foundation for Lone Soldiers. It's in the name of of the charity that they're supporting non-Israelis to join the Israeli military. And and they can, you know, fundraise $100 million, uh, get subsidies for $100 million in donations. And uh, and then you have a group supporting orphans and uh, and uh, a hospital in Gaza. And they don't they not only lose their charitable status, but they're actually put on the uh, uh, the terrorist list. Sounds similar to the Holy Land Foundation that used to operate right here in the United States. You started earlier by mentioning the, uh, the I guess, the board members, uh, you know, that uh, they have um, working, you know, uh, from the Israeli military. I, I just was looking at some of the names. Uh, Major General Doron Almog, who avoided arrest in London in 2005 on suspicion of war crimes. Then you have Lieutenant Colonel Mike Hartman, uh, head of the Markmanship and Sharpshooter Section, the IDF. Uh, you also have Shpatai Shavit, head of the Mossad or, or former head of the Mossad. Isn't this a brazen coordinated enterprise between Israel's military and, and Heseg at the expense of freely Canadian citizens? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's obviously brazen. Uh, I would say the Reisman and Schwartz understand and they're taking advantage of uh, Canadian cha- uh, charity law, tax law, to mobilize uh, a subsidy for their donations. Uh, they they are people who they help set up the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs. So previously, there was the Canadian Jewish Congress. And the Canada Israel Committee, uh, and the Canadian Jewish Congress was a very you know pro Zionist, but at least had sort of like a nominal kind of democratic structure, and nominally was about like fighting for you know defending uh, Jewish interests within Canada. Uh, and they basically got that all kiboshed, Rice and Schwartz, the, a couple other wealthy donor families, uh, and set up the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs, which doesn't even have Canada in its name, right? As Israel's name. And it's it's the it's basically just designed to bring like Canadian Jewry and and Israel is sort of like all one and the same. And because they are such ardent Zionists, they know that politically that that helps Israel's cause. And and so so there are people who are uh, deeply committed to you know an, a colonial uh, anti-Palestinian and current case genocidal uh, politics. And and um, and they understand that the the lone soldiers uh, serve a, a useful interest for the IDF for the Israeli military in terms of um, in terms of uh, you know pressuring Israelis and and sort of deepening commitment to to the to the military force within Israel, and 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 they sort of merge this mix of using Canadian uh, uh, tax um, uh, law. And, you know, the fact they have huge amounts of wealth and, and, um, and, you know, brought this together, uh, with the, the, you know, military structure within, with, um, within Israel. And it's just like completely, I mean, it's, it would be outrageous if they were doing this, uh, just for their own money. I mean, in and of of itself, the fact that they're using Canadians, using their money for this purpose, but the fact that they've been able to, uh, for 15 plus years, have Canadian taxpayers subsidize this whole endeavor is just absolutely outrageous. 
And now, and now when people when people uh, challenge this and they put up some posters, the they're able to get the Toronto police. The the whole apartheid lobby structure frames it as an anti-Semitic act because because the woman is Jewish and uh, and uh, and they're able to get the Toronto police to like to to bust into houses in the middle of the night uh, in a coordinated so this is as if it's some like you know huge like criminal network that were you know involved in murders or some uh, affair and they're able to bust in the middle of the night and and. Um, and and you know uh, Harvard's activists. So it's it's a it's a pretty uh, stunning uh, example of uh, the abuse of the in this case the uh, charitable structure as well as the the media and um, and policing system uh, on behalf of um, uh, violence against uh, uh, Palestinians. In your piece, you describe the immediate aftermath uh, of the poster installations as follows. Those promoting Israel's genocide in Gaza panicked. Friends of Simon Wiesenthal Center CEO Michael Levitt posted, and I'm quoting here, an absolutely appalling anti-Semitic attack in downtown Toronto targeting chapters Indigo and Jewish CEO Heather Reisman. While the media largely echoed Levitt's perspective, a few outlets at least uh, offered the context on why Reisman was targeted. Uh, anti-Semitism has become the knee-jerk reaction to any and everything that is critical of Israel or Zionists. Are people in Canada taking pause to examine the legitimacy of these blanket accusations? Oh, I think people are catching on to the to the to the scam. There's no there's no doubt about that. I mean, y- uh, yesterday in Ottawa, you had the biggest, maybe the biggest. Uh, Palestine solar demonstration in Canadian history. It was a march on Ottawa. Certainly the biggest Palestine demonstration in Ottawa's history. Uh, people are saying, I didn't go. I was un- unable to go. But people are saying 100,000, upwards of 100,000. I've seen the images. It's massive, massive demonstration. People came from, buses came from Windsor, which is eight or nine hours away. Uh, this was a really impressive march on Parliament. And to be honest with you, after uh, six weeks of, uh, there's been uh, here in Montreal. There's there's every weekend. There's a major demonstration. Yesterday there wasn't one here. It was five thousand. Even though many people went to Ottawa, um, uh, they've been up to fifty thousand plus here in Montreal. And there's been actions like sort of every almost every day for the past six weeks. To be honest with you, I was like, I don't know if people are going to have this the 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 energy, the time, and all this to 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 make this a success in Ottawa. I was a little bit doubtful. When I heard about it, but but it clearly was not just a success; it was an overwhelming success. Mm-hmm. So you have two things happening: you have this like the media uh, on this like over the top, and I should say that the Global Mail, the national paper, the most influential paper in the country, had this arrest on the front page uh, of these activists. They had, they had it on the front page, and they didn't even mention they didn't even mention that Heather Reisman uh, <laughs> has the Hessek. Uh, she set up the Hessek Foundation, right? So they just framed it as this hate. Hate is increasing in the country. So the fact that the media can be an overdrive with this anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism uh, kind of smearing of all uh, Palestine solidarity, yet it's not really deterring. I mean, it, I think it is succeeding at some level, right? There, it does deter some people. But you're still having the biggest demonstration, not just about Palestine, but you the biggest, certainly the biggest anti-war demonstration since 2003 in Canada and, some, and the biggest internationalist uh, demonstrations. 
And even in 2003, if you look back at the pre-Iraq war protests here in Montreal, these massive demonstrations, but those were taking place once a month, right? This was, this was like, you know, they had to be two really, really big ones here in Montreal that were like 100,000 plus, but it was like, it was, there was a month gap between them. In this case, it's how they're happening every week, every weekend. And then there's a whole bunch of actions happening during the week as well. So that level of, of commitment and mobilization, this is, this is absolutely unprecedented, at least 20 years. Uh, nothing like this is seen in Canada. So um, yes, the, the, they still have an effect, the smearing of anti-Semitism. I mean, they even called the prime minister, uh, uh, the former Canadian ambassador to Israel, uh, she called the prime minister an anti-Semite, uh, uh, explicit, straight, this is an anti-Semite, he's always been anti-Semite because he basically said that that uh, you know, babies being being killed is not a good thing. Um, I mean, this is the this is you know the truth is is that Trudeau has completely enabled Israel's uh, uh, genocide in Gaza. And then finally, when the when the the protests are starting to break down a little bit of that, at least the the, the staunch rhetorical support, and he makes a s- small comment about uh, you know trying calling on Israel to hold back on killing civilians, and then they even call the prime minister an anti-Semite. So, so um, it, it's sort of happening at kind of both levels. Yes, it, it is effective. It is still deterring people. It does intimidate people. But simultaneously, we're seeing these protests and the ability of, of I think, particularly with, with age, right? You see what happened at McGill University. McGill University just passed a resolution, 79% biggest turnout in, in the history of the student union's referendums. 79% voted in favor of this uh, uh, opposition to genocide policy that's quite strong, has quite strong language about the university breaking relations with corporations and other entities complicit with, in, in Israeli apartheid. Um, so, so certainly with the, with the younger generation, the, the, the Zionist lobby has completely lost control of the narrative. That is absolutely clear. They're not buying into the smears. Um, uh, um, so so it, it's... it's Quite a fascinating uh, dynamic to see uh, play out. It sounds like there is a parallel between Canada and the United States among amongst youth because uh, recent polls right here in the in the U.S. have shown that uh, there is a movement amongst youth, pro-Palestinian movement, and now people, especially on college campuses, and and we're witnessing a similar thing happening uh, in Canada. Uh, this interview wouldn't be complete because I got actually to know you, not personally, but to see your videos uh, publicly shaming some of the politicians in Canada. And I want to ask you about uh, shaming important people, let's say, to hold them accountable. It seems very effective. Uh, talk about that a bit and, 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 and one incident you think worked particularly well. Yeah, so I, I've been doing this uh, for a few years. We actually had a network called Disruption Network Canada of people across the country. And basically the idea is you find out where uh, powerful people, predominantly ministers within the government, are holding press conferences or events and show up and just um, start criticizing their their policy. And you know, there's different dimensions to it in that if there's a lot of other, you know, corporate media there, you're trying, you're partly trying to get them to cover criticism of, of, um, of uh, the government's uh, policy. But then there's also a social media side to it. And the fact that, you know, you can put it on Twitter, put it on Facebook, Instagram, wherever, and it gets wide, uh, uh, wide circulation. So 
Um, I did what I did of the foreign minister, Melanie Jolie, uh, recently where I, um, I found where she was, uh, and I, I told her that she had blood on her hands and, um, and that, uh, at that point, 4,000 Palestinian children had been killed. And, uh, and, and she just walks away and walks up the stairs and two flights of stairs is real. Like she let this look of real shame. And I got it, I got it quite well on my on my phone, and then I did actually said it in French, said it in English, and then I said it in French to her, because it's here in Montreal. Um, and that, you know, that got lots of social media. Uh, and I think from the social media standpoint, it's about, you know, you're not really convincing people of a new idea per se, but you're, you're sort of hoping to stoke a bit of like sense of resistance and we need to, you know, mobilize and we got to, you know, uh, hold the politicians accountable like that. Um, the, the, that also got picked up widely on, uh, media, uh, like Turkish media and some Arab media. I heard it was on the front page of an Algerian newspaper and stuff like that within Canada, the, the corporate media, dominant media mostly ignores them though. Not always. There was one in Vancouver of Trudeau. They, some activists about uh, two weeks ago got in a restaurant where Trudeau was meeting or he was eating. And they got right next to him and were, and were, and were saying that he, you know, uh, blood his hands, ceasefire. And that was actually the, that was a top news item on the, on the CBC, the national, on the big, uh, big, uh, national TV, uh, uh, program, news program. Um, so, so these, 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 you know, the social media has enabled this. Um, the fact that we all have, you know, videos on our, on our phones or whatever has enabled this. And, and it can, it can be quite a powerful, uh, uh, uh political effect and, and, uh, Clearly, uh, there's there's no doubt that the the Canadian government ministers have been totally um, uh, troubled. Their their kind of their ability to hold fundraisers in Vancouver. They they disrupted a fundraiser, and I heard that the foreign minister didn't even end up showing because of it. Um, and so so these things are 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 can be very effective. Uh, it's just one tool in the broader. Obviously, you got the mass mobilizations. You got the the media structure that we need to build. We got the you know all the different other kind of parts of it. But but one form is is um, is is directly challenging the the ministers, but also you know I've also targeted some of the the main uh, figures in the in the apartheid lobby in Canada, uh, some of the big uh, the donor the top donor for um, for Justin Trudeau, uh, Stephen Bronfman, a, a few months back, um, uh, I I found out he was speaking at an event here in Montreal and and uh, and you know condemned him on on um, on his. Uh, his support for uh, uh, apartheid, um, so that can also be effective. It uh, not just with regards to the um, the ministers or the prime minister, but but uh, other sort of figures. Well, I think it's very effective because uh, I've seen I've seen these videos, and I'm in San Francisco, so that gives you an idea. And perhaps, uh, as you've mentioned, especially amongst young people, the social media they're not going to be reading um, legacy uh, newspapers and so forth. Probably. It's doing an effective uh, uh, job against the billions of dollars that Heather Reisman and her husband Jerry Schwartz uh, can spend on, you know, and with uh, just following you on Twitter and and, and other um, uh, social media sites uh, to read Eve's Egler's updates and access his impressive resources. Visit his website, Eve Engler. Dot com. You can order his books there as well. His uh, latest is Stand on Guard from Who, For Whom, A People's History of the Canadian Military. Eve, um, thank you for coming on Arab Talk. Thanks for having me. That's the voice and the face of Eve Engler. 
talking about how Heather Reisman and her billionaire husband, Gary Schwartz, established and are directors of the registered Canadian charity Hessig Foundation for Lone Soldiers. Jamal, this is really one of the most outrageous, craziest stories I've ever heard. You have a tax-deductible charity in Canada and throughout the world, in the United States and in Europe, basically raising money and sending non-Israeli citizens of other countries to fight and suppress in the apartheid state, committing war crimes. These are war crimes that are being committed, and they're getting tax deductions for sending these soldiers over there. It's an unbelievable story, Jamal. Well, it's very believable because Israel gets away with everything, including murder. So that's that's the scenario. But, but that's where's, going the accountabil- where's the accountability? What what is the accountability of this and and in terms of confronting the Canadian government and the Canadian version of the IRS who give these uh tax uh you know these uh charities tax uh free uh opportunities and licenses to do this stuff in Canada? Well just it's not only I mean it's not only this, it's not uh just uh, just uh, about tax de- deduction, but also that they operate in 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 violating basically Canadian laws. Uh, not just about uh, taxation, they violate Canada's Foreign Enlistment Act, meaning as right. a Canadian to go and enlist in another military. So it's not Army. just like about right. that, but they, you know, uh, obviously he and others have raised this issue, and we'll see what's going to happen. Well, we're going to follow this story, Jamal. It's so important. We're going to try to uncover and see if we can find out where in the United States and Europe they're doing this. But uh, we should talk about a little bit about the exchange of hostages right now. We're going into day three. Uh, Hamas has lived up to its side of the bargain by releasing the hostages that it said it would. Of course, the Israeli uh, government and military has tried to pull a fast one, even though they agreed to it. They didn't allow the aid trucks into the northern part of Gaza, where it's needed the most. And yesterday, Hamas decided to put a stop or a hold on the release of the hostages until more aid could be uh, uh, you know, uh, sent in to the northern part. It's a typical Israeli maneuver, Jamal. Yes, and of course, more than this is that every single Palestinian uh, hostage or uh, prisoner, whatever term you want to use, but they are actually hostages because many of them are children. They were taken and they were kidnapped children. Right. Uh, they were subjected to humiliation and, and deprived of food, etc. when they came. And of course, they talked about their conditions, but uh, I'm talking about the time during that transfer, uh, you know, to transfer right. them into, uh, into the West Bank. And, uh, and that's, that's what I was ac- actually observing and watching on different uh, channels from the Middle East. Uh, and then we saw the picture of the uh, Israeli hostages that are waving to their captors. Uh, I don't know, but I, mean, I don't want to comment too much on about that, but they seem to be healthy uh, to kind of corroborate uh, what one earlier hostage who was released said that they were treated well. Because, you know, that just to counteract right. that uh, um, propaganda that Israel puts out there, that it's terrible and they're treated poorly, when you compare that to some of those Palestinian prisoners, some of them who went to jail at uh, the early age of 12 or 14 or 16, and they've been there for several, several years uh, on allegations of, right. of throwing a stone or, or, or having a knife, and uh, now they've been released. And uh, 
Israel not only uh, mistreated them during the transfer, but they prevented their families, at least the ones in East Jerusalem, from celebrating receiving them. Right, right. Well, Jamal, it's it's uh, kind of interesting when you think about it. The Palestinian political prisoner issue has been around forever, for decades and decades. It has touched the lives of every single Palestinian living in Gaza, West Bank, or Jerusalem. And the release of these prisoners, at this time, only women and children, is truly an amazing kind of accomplishment if you think about it, right? It the, These are people who have been treated under what the international community considers grave violations of international law, not having access to attorneys, uh, being denied visits uh, with family members, uh, being subjected to torture, all of these things. And so their being released is a big, big issue. Um, having said that, there are still thousands and thousands of Palestinian prisoners who languish in Israeli prisons. And let's not forget, Jamal, there are probably 2.3 billion Palestinian political prisoners living in Gaza right now. And their fate is especially, uh, is especially you know, devastating and catastrophic right now. The other interesting thing that I want to mention about this before moving on to our next story is the fact that many of the Western journalists uh, had a double standard in in uh, providing right. coverage for the Palestinian uh, children who were released and women because they're, they're mostly children and women. In fact, many of them didn't know that they that Israel had so many Palestinian children and women because I was like watching. They were like surprised. Oh. This is this bus is full. Where did these people come from? What were their charges? And this highlights the, this this story because they have never received any coverage. Uh, usually, just right. like whatever Israel puts out there. But that the fact that you have this many Palestinian children behind bars in is in Israel, and that many of them are held without trial, without uh, being provided with an attorney. You know, for periods of time, like a year, two years, they're just like waiting for trial, for trial in a, in a military right. court, basically. Well, that's exactly right, Jamal. And um, I think, you know, we don't have time to talk about it today, but the double standard of the reporting, which you see is on the mainstream media, are all these, you know, reunions of Israeli hostages with their families. But did you see anything on CNN? or CBS, or NBC, or ABC, about the reunions with Palestinian prisoners and their families? I didn't see any. Did I miss something? I saw it on Arab media, but I didn't see it on the mainstream media. Very little, uh, very little, and it didn't uh, provide context to it. Like, they they, they actually right. were uh, B-rolling some of the footage that they were c uh, capturing from Al Jazeera or Al Arabiya. And uh, we're actually there. They're telling you each one's story. Uh, this is so-and-so. He, he, her name is so-and-so. Is, uh, uh, they went to jail when they were 14 years old. They don't tell you anything. They're just like, oh, they're celebrating uh, and so forth. Moving on to the next story, Jess, and this is a big story because eyewitnesses to the October 7th hostage standoff in uh, Kibbutz Be'eri. This is uh, at least one incident here. Right have exposed, exposed Israel for misleading the world about the killing of a 12-year-old, 12 12 which was, who, who 
was cited by uh, pre President Biden about and others saying uh, they saw children burned, burned, you know, and 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 in fact, uh, and and misleading the entire world because now in Israeli media, including Haaretz, and, and that's again that was Israel's desperate bid for international sympathy to stir outrage over uh, the killing of a 12-year-old girl. And now we're finding out, and that's based on several several eyewitness reports, uh, that the reason the house where that the girl was killed and, and she was burned because of Israel's uh, so-called uh, friendly fire Death came uh, basically uh, as uh, the Israeli uh, military was storming the kibbutz and they were using tanks and helicopters targeting that particular house. Right. That's right, Jamal. And it looks like, based on the reporting of Haaretz, that some of the casualties, the gruesome casualties that were cited by Joe Biden and the Western media were actually killed by Israeli fire. This is a big story. Yeah, Have you seen then, it in the New York Times well, yet? Er, early on, early on, there was a survivor. Uh, her name is Yasmin Porat, um, who was among yeah. the Israelis taken hostage by Hamas, and then she was let go, and and then she gave an interview. She gave an interview as uh, in, on November fifteenth. So so we're talking about forty. How many days, I mean, uh, you know, uh, talk about the standoff, talk about, you know, uh, I mean, sorry, December 15th, right. talking about the, the standoff and describing that she witnessed, basically, the, the Israelis were shooting at them and killing many Israelis in the kibbutz. And then this, the, then... Well, Jamal, so... Then, then Israel, what, uh, what is, Haaretz reported it, and then and 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 they received the lashing uh, from uh, Bibi Netanyahu, basically, and other people on uh, in his cabinet calling to shut down the newspaper. So, what's going to happen now? This is going to continue to be a story. It hasn't been picked up in the Western media yet. It hasn't been picked up anywhere, as far as I could tell. Um, I haven't seen it in the New York Times. I haven't seen it on broadcast media. This, this is a big story because I think it's important the war was prosecuted that this this kind of genocide against Palestinians was jet was prosecuted by these images and these ideas of these quote children being burned when in fact it looks like the the main uh, image of that came from Israeli fire uh, shooting their own citizens. Absolutely right. There are many stories we want to talk about, but we're kind of running out of time. And I wanted to move on yeah. to Mr. Seldowitz. Stuart Seldowitz, Jabal, who is a top official in the Obama administration. His portfolio included the Middle East and Palestine-Israeli affairs. He's been working under more than just the Obama. He was in the Bush administration too, I believe. He's a top senior national security advisor, and it seems like Mr. Seldowitz is uh, is is really pretty disturbed, Jamal, because he went after a halal cart vendor in New York, not just once, not just twice, 
but three times and all caught on video, all screaming, incredibly racist, Islamophobic, hateful comments, even saying that he was going to uh, come after his family and, and new people. It was absolutely crazy, Jamal. But well, this is the uh, world I want to quote in. one of his worst quotes, which he said, if we killed, we, meaning we, so he's now associating himself with Israel, okay? If we killed 4,000 Palestinian right. kids, it wasn't enough. And he repeats it again. It wasn't uh, enough. I mean, this is how disturbed this, this guy is. But imagine what, why we're talking about him? Because there are other hate mongers. There are other, uh, many other uh, Islamophobes. This guy held a very important position in the Obama administration at the State Department. And the big question that we like to pose is how many Seldowitzes are there now? Imagine, because this guy, I mean, how many of them carry or hold these hateful sentiments and, and, and anti-Muslim, anti-Arab uh, sentiments? And this guy was in a very, very important position. He wasn't like some uh, pencil, uh, whatever, pusher. No, Jamal, this guy had a, seat, he had a top security clearance. He was advising the State Department and the White House on, on how to negotiate and how to engage politically in, in Palestine. And I think your question is a good one. How many Seldowitzes are there in the statement? State Department, quite a few. But this is also juxtaposed against the fact that 500 members of the State Department signed a letter to Antony Blinken condemning the U.S. State Department and the U.S. policy against Palestinians. So we seem to have quite a split in the State Department, as there is in the U.S. government, as there is globally right now, between what is happening in Palestine and what leaders are doing to support the genocide of Palestinians in Gaza. And against going against the grain, against what we're seeing, in the, my last comment is the demonstrations in the, right here in the United States and globally, pro-Palestinian, anti-genocide, uh, basically. And then you have people like him running around and gives you an idea why the governments are basically out of touch with the people. And, and that's, that's a representation. I mean, if you have 10 more like him, God help us. Well, yeah. And before we end, Jamal, I, I can't believe I'm going to say what I'm going to say, but this is probably the only time that I've agreed with what Fox News has said about Joe Biden. You know, Fox News has been critical of Joe Biden, of course, for years and years and years. But recently, they, get, they labeled Joe Biden and they gave him a name. Do you know what that name was? What is it? Genocide Joe. So That's coming from Fox I, News. This is probably, this is coming from Fox News. So I will say this, it's probably the only time I agree with Fox News, but I'm referring to Joe Biden as Genocide Joe, because we have to keep reminding our listeners and viewers that the genocide in Gaza against Palestinian men, women, and children could only be carried out with the full blessing of Joe Biden and the U.S. administration. So we'll be talking about that as time goes on and we get close to the elections. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com. 
to download the latest shows and we'll speak to you next week. We'll see you next week. <laughs>